Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. Can you believe summer's over? I mean, it just kind of came and it went. I have a theory. No. I have a theory that summer is the shortest season of all. I know, I know we technically got 11 more days of summer to enjoy and everything, but, but then when I think about fall, sometimes it's not that bad too, right? I mean, first off, football begins today. Somebody say, praise God for football. Yeah, right? So we go home, hurry up, Pastor Mike, and finish because the Jets are going to get blown out and I got to watch it and increase my prayer life, right? Or if you're a parent, right, uh, school has begun. Is there not a more freeing feeling? Dropping your kid off on the bus, waving goodbye, and you got the whole day to yourself. Don't you want to shout a hallelujah for that, right? And then if you're a coffee drinker, a pumpkin spice latte, I don't even know what that is, but some of y'all, you're crazy, you pumpkin everything, and sure, I guess it all tastes good. But a lot of times I think of summer, and I'm like, man, where did, where did the time go, right? Now, now, how many of you guys this summer, you went on a vacation? Raise your hand. How many guys went on a vacation? All right, six people. All right, turn to your neighbor, say, you got to go on a vacation. Like, really, you need it. You've been driving me nuts for my whole life. No, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, Some of you guys, you're overachievers. You've been on vacation. You've been like on two or three vacations this summer. If that's you, I need to meet you. I need to hang out with you a little bit more. Uh, But this summer was a big summer for my family. Uh, First off, because my wife and I, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. Yeah, we made it one decade together, right? And uh, then, not only that, but we had the pressure. You got to book a vacation, right? So I surprised my wife on our wedding anniversary, and I said, I booked us a cruise together, no kids. The glory is in this room, right? And, and so I booked the cruise, and so the, the goal was it was going to go from Miami, it was going to go to Key West for a day, it was going to go to Cozumel, Mexico, then it was going to come back. And uh, so it was a five-day, four-night cruise, eat all you can eat whenever you want, and no kids. This is great, right? Now, if you've ever been on a cruise before, you know that you could eat whatever you want at any point. You could like have pizza at three in the morning if you want. I wasn't that way because I went to bed at like nine. I'm an old man, all right? And uh, so you could eat pizza. You could eat whatever you want. But dinner time, that's like the elegant time. That's the time where you got to dress up and you sit at a dining hall and it's very formal. It's very nice. It overlooks the ocean as you're cruising. And But the downside of the dining hall or the dining experience is that you can't eat alone as a couple. They pair you up with other people. Now, for me, I get this anxiety of like meeting new people sometimes. I don't know if you do. I blame it on my parents. They told me stranger danger my entire life, so I've carried it with me for my entire life. And so I was like nervous, like, man, I'm going to have to, we're going to eat like with other people. And this might be awkward. I mean, what if they're awkward? Like, like what if they bust out into a fight in the middle of our dinner table? That could be really weird. Or even worse, what if they think I'm weird? Like that, that's, that's probably going to happen, but I don't know. What, what if that's that? And so I was very nervous. And to make things worse is every time you meet someone new, after you, might, you get their name, the next question is, what do you do for a living? And I always have to answer, I'm a pastor. Now, nine times out of 10, 
the conversation ends right at that point, right? Like, uh, so what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, yeah, uh, that's, that's one way to live your life, right? And so I get this all the time, like everything could be great, and all of a sudden the conversation, done, like boom, I'm a pastor. Oh, man, and the conversation cruises over. Let's just go back to Miami and call it done. So my goal during this cruise was I'm going to try and avoid that question as much as possible, and I'm going to ask other people questions, so we get there. The first night of the cruise, we get to the dining experience, and I'm like, all right, here we go. we got to meet people. This is nerve-wracking. So the first couple we meet that is sitting right next to us, we find out that the husband, uh, he serves in the military. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Thanked him for his service, got to hear some of his stories. And he and his wife, they had two young kids just like ours, and they were celebrating their five-year wedding anniversary. So oh, that's pretty cool. So then I meet the next couple sitting next to us, and they're celebrating their 10-year wedding anniversary. So how do how do they know this stuff? Do they study our Facebook profiles or something? And so we're talking away, getting to know them, and we find out that he started a business. So like, oh, cool. So we're talking about some different books that we've read, some different business books. And the whole time for about 15 minutes, I've been able to successfully avoid and tiptoe around the what do you do for a living conversation or what do you do for a living question. Then they bring out our appetizers. 20 minutes later, I'm like, man, we're hungry. We're ready to dive in. And then one couple stops us. Guys, I got to stop us. Before we eat, I want to ask a prayer of blessing. Can I pray over us all? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So we pray and he prays a prayer of blessing. Amen. Then right afterwards, he lifts his head up. Hey, Mike, I don't think I asked you, what do you do for a living? Well, what's your job? Well, actually, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor, and I didn't even pray for the meal. Now, this morning, I want to talk to us about the topic of prayer, all right? And I want to talk about why it's so important, why it's foundational for our lives, because I believe that prayer is something that is significant for every single follower of Jesus. So let's go ahead, let's grab our message notes, and I want to look at our first verse together, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. But before we get to this verse, we got to understand a little bit of context. We got to understand what happened in the first 10 chapters. Now, if you read Luke chapters 1 through 10, you'll see that Jesus was born. Jesus picks his disciples, and you'll read a lot about these different miracles that Jesus performed. In fact, in those first chapters, you'll see that Jesus casts out a demon. That's pretty crazy, right? Uh, you see that Jesus calms a violent storm with just one word. He says, peace be still and the storm stops. Uh, we see Jesus literally raise someone from the dead. They're back to life again. Talk about, whoa, like what is this guy doing, right? We see Jesus, my favorite miracle, he feeds 5,000 people from nothing. I love food. So Jesus fed everybody. And we see all these different things that Jesus does. And the disciples, they want to know like, what is the secret sauce? Like, like how does this guy Jesus really do it? And so they ask him this question here in your notes. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Once, when Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Underline that verse right there. Lord, teach us to pray. Notice not, Lord, teach us how to lead. Notice he doesn't say, Lord, teach us how to be successful. Notice they could have asked Jesus anything. Lord, teach us how to make more money. No, they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, the disciples, they had prayed their entire lives. I mean, they grew up understanding the importance of prayer. They grew up learning all the different prayers. They had a lot of rituals on, on certain things that they needed to pray. Why are they asking Jesus how to pray? My thought is because 
they saw how Jesus prayed. They saw the power and the impact. They've never seen anybody pray like that before. In other words, when we change the way that we pray, it changes everything about our lives. When we change the way that we pray, it changes the way we view our problems. It changes the way we view God. It changes the way we view every single circumstance in our life. And prayer is important for our walk with God. Now, on the opposite side, the average person, the average Christian prays one minute a day, 60 seconds. The the average Christian will spend one minute a day in prayer. Now, today alone, you're going to have 1,440 minutes to spend. Everybody gets the same amount. Nobody gets shortchanged. No one has more minutes to spend than anyone else. We all have 1,440 minutes to spend. How are you going to spend your time today. Look, one minute a day in prayer, all of us, we know this, but it's, it's not enough to change our lives. It's not enough to grow and to become more like God. In fact, 12 years ago, uh, just a mile from here in Flushing Meadows Corona Park, a famous evangelist named Billy Graham led his last crusade and taught his final sermon. And if you don't know Billy Graham, Billy Graham's this famous preacher, a famous speaker. Uh, He served uh, as a mentor to every single U.S. president since Dwight D. Eisenhower. Uh, He had been in ministry for over six decades and literally led millions of people to the Lord. And so this was his final crusade, and this was big. The media was all around him. And on one particular interview, 2020, just wanted to ask him about his life. And at the end of the interview, they asked him one question. Do you have any regrets? And Billy Graham's answer was, my only regret is I wish I spent more time in prayer. Now, if we were to look at our lives, I would say it would look like this. You know, there's God and Jesus, right? Right there at the top. I'd say Billy Graham's probably right there, right underneath. We're probably a little bit less, right? And our neighbor's definitely down here, right? You know, if you heard how they, what they said when they came into church, they're down here, right? But if, if we were to look at it, like Billy Graham's pretty close to God. And if Billy Graham says he wishes he spent more time in prayer, then I think for sure I probably could spend more time in prayer as well. In fact, if you were to do inventory of your life, I think you would say the same, that, that probably you could do more than just one minute a day spent in time with God. Uh, Look at James uh, in chapter 5, verse 16 in your notes. Look at how he talks about prayer. Let's read this verse out loud together. Ready? Go. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your prayers have the potential to be powerful. They, They have the potential to be effective. In other words, I believe that one prayer prayed the right way could change the entire course of your life. One prayer prayed the right way could change the entire course of your life. But when we look at our prayer life, let's be honest, it's, it's embarrassing sometimes, right? I mean, God, I need to get a parking spot because I don't want to be late at church for like the fourth time in a row. God, just get me a parking spot. Or if you're a Jets fan, Lord, just, just hear my prayer once. Give our team one win. I mean, God, Tebow used to play for the Jets, and you love Tebow, so just kind of help the Jets, all right? Or we pray this, God, if you could just give me the numbers for the Powerball, I promise I'm going to give the church 10%, so God, just come on, help someone out. And if we're honest, many times when we look at our prayers, it might even look like this guy. Take a look. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish, Dad, you know that. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless 
you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace and many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day, day by day, by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. My day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. All right, so one prayer prayed the right way, I believe, can change the entire course of your life. But the question is, well, what prayers do we pray? I mean, how, how do we pray specifically? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four bold prayers, four, I believe, even dangerous prayers for you to pray because these are four prayers that you know if and when you pray them, God will absolutely answer every single one of these prayers. And so let's talk about these four prayers. Open up your notes to the inside and let's start with prayer number one. The first bold prayer I believe you can ask is simply, God, save me. God, save me. Now, some of the hardest words for us to utter in the English language are the words, I was wrong. In fact, when, when was the last time you said that, right? I mean, when was the last time that you actually had to say those words? Or how about these words, I'm sorry? None, none, none of those words come natural to us, right? Or how about this word, I need help? Why are these things so hard to say? My thought is because when we finally say these words, we come to the realization that we are not in control. And that's tough, right? I mean, we love to be in control. We crave control so much so that when things go out of control, we go out of control, right? When, when things don't go how we had hoped or how we had planned, we tend to go out of control. But see, the reality is you were never meant to be in control. And that's part of the reason why we need a Savior. But until we first realize that we are sinners at our core, we'll never fully understand our need for a Savior. Now, let's face it, we don't really like that word sinner, right? We don't really like that word bad, right? That I'm not a bad person. In fact, you know, we have two kids, uh, Blake who's six, Landon who's one, and sometimes when Landon will take Blake's toys or destroy something, Blake will say, Landon, you are so bad, and immediately, no, 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 you don't say he's bad, he's a baby, he's not bad, right? And we kind of grow up with this over our entire lives, like, no, we don't really say that we are bad, but the reality is you are one bad person person. You, you are a bad dude. And as long as we believe otherwise, 
You're never going to fully understand your need for a Savior. As long as you believe that you are not a bad person, you'll never be able to understand the depth and the beauty of God's grace. Now, when we think about it, this is a problem that's not just faced our humanity today, but it's faced us almost our entire lives all throughout history. In fact, one time Jesus told a story to illustrate the importance of us recognizing this. And he talks about how there was this one time, there was a church service just like today, and two people came forward to the front to pray. One of them was a priest. The other person was a tax collector. Now, in Jesus' day, the priest was seen as like close to God, like, like right there, the very heartbeat of God. And a tax collector was someone that was wicked. It was vile. They didn't even deserve to be in the temple. And the reason why was a tax collector is not like we think of today, but a tax collector would literally fraud people into giving more money so that they could fatten their own bank accounts. Uh, they would literally, uh, they were working for the Roman government, which owned Israel, and they were just making up laws, making up rules, making people poor, all because of their own personal greed and their own personal wealth. So when Jesus says that a priest and a tax collector come forward for a prayer, it was very dramatic, like, oh, no, he didn't. No, that didn't happen in our church, right? And so he says the different highlights of their prayers. The priest basically prays, God, I thank you that I am wonderful. I thank you, God, for making me a priest. I thank you that I'm not a drunk. I thank you that I am not destitute. And I certainly, God, thank you that I am not like this tax collector. I might be bad. I might make mistakes. But God, I am not that bad. Now, when we look at the prayer of the tax collector, his prayer is much different. In fact, I put his prayer there in your notes. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. Look at his deep prayer. He beats his chest and he says these words, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus comments that at the end of this story, when they both walked away, the tax collector was made right with God, not the priest. Why? All because of his prayer. Now, looking at this prayer, when was the last time you prayed this prayer? I mean, when was the last time in your core that you beat your chest just like that tax collector and said, oh God, have mercy on me for deep down, I am a sinner in need of a savior. You know, for honest, when we pray the prayer, save me, it's mostly about something else. God, save me from my boss. God, save me from my finances. God, save me from this apartment. Never do we really say, God, save me from myself. God, save me for deep down, I am a sinner. You know, back in the sixth century, the, the Christians back then, they would pray this prayer regularly. Almost six, sometimes seven times a day, they would repeatedly pray this prayer, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner to remind them that at their core, they are not a product of what they do or who they are, but deep down they knew they were a sinner in need of God's saving. Look at how Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, he says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, but rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself, all of it depends on faith. So you want to know a bold prayer to pray to God? My challenge is pray this one this week. Say, God, be merciful to me, for deep down, I am a sinner in need of your, your grace. So that's a dangerous prayer, but let's go across the page in our notes. Let's look at number two. A second dangerous prayer to pray is, God, search me. God, search me. Now, each week, uh, I share stories about our life. You know, sometimes I'll share personal stories. Sometimes I'll share stories about me and my wife. I'll share stories about my kids. And, and the goal is to give you like a little bit of a glimpse on what our crazy lives tend to be like sometimes. But one thing I bet you don't know about me is I am terrified 
of bugs. Like, I hate bugs. Uh, in fact, just this past week, I went into my office, and there was a roach. Some of you guys, you give cute names to it. You're like, don't call it a roach. It's a water bug. No, it's a roach. It's gross, all right? Don't make it cute. It's disgusting, all right? And so this roach was in my office, and I was, oh, Lord, I can't get any work done. What do I do? I look for the biggest Bible in my office and drop it down in that bug. And they, everybody office says, well, just step on it. No, I'm wearing flip-flops, and I got two legs. They got six. If I miss, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up my pant leg or something. No, I'm not doing that, right? So about a month and a half ago, uh, our neighbors from our apartment moved out. And uh, they were doing renovations and maintenance in, in the apartment to try and get new people in. And apparently our neighbors back then, they, they were not necessarily as clean as we had hoped or we had liked. So as they were renovating, they sent a couple of friends our way to our kitchen. So uh, uh, for about a week, every time I'd flip on the lights, I would be greeted by a couple of little critters. And, oh, this is gross. Oh, what's happening here? So I knew that we had to do one of two things. Either one, we're moving out. Or two, we've got to deal with the problem. We've got to make this happen. So on one particular day, uh, Danielle was out uh, with some friends and our kids. They were with my parents. And so I had the apartment all by myself. And I knew I can't watch Netflix today. i got to get these bugs out of here. So what I did was I went through the entire kitchen, drawer by drawer, had to pull stuff out. And I finally found the home of where they all were. And it was I had a hazmat suit on and everything, so I don't want the bugs to get on me. And so I literally had to pull every little piece out, hand wash everything, wipe everything down, spray it, spray it again, spray it one more time, and then wash everything one more time and put it all back in. And as of today, we have been bug-free for like a couple of weeks now. Praise God. Let me knock on wood and say praise God, all right? And, and so when we're saying these, these terms search me, God, search me. Basically, it's almost exactly that same thing. God, leave no stone unturned. God, you have full access to my life. Take inventory of my life and find areas that is not fully surrendered to you. God, is there any area of sin that I haven't confessed and surrendered over to you? Now, let's be honest. When it comes to prayer, most of the time, our prayers of forgiveness are like blanket prayers, right? Like, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for keeping my food clean. God, I know I messed up. Forgive me, but I got 80 things I got a request of you. So can you do this? Can you do that? God, oh yeah, can you do this? Uh, and then again, every time we go to the forgiveness prayer, God, I, I know I did something bad. So just, I know your grace covers all. So just forgive me of every single sin that I did this week, right? And we do this. We know that God is loving. We know that God will forgive us of every sin. But, but I wonder for us, how effective is that really for our lives. I mean, if we don't really know what we're sorry for, we don't really know what we've done wrong, is it really acceptable to pray a prayer of forgiveness if we never really identified what it is? And when we think about true repentance, true repentance should bring about a changed life, not just insurance to get into heaven. And see, what happens is when we're bold enough to pray, God, search me, he's going to point out areas of our life that are not surrendered to him. You know, maybe when you pray that prayer of God, search me, what you realize is, you know, man, I'm an angry person. And then on the outside, I look like everything is okay. But deep down, man, I got this anger, this rage that just kind of flares up. And, and I'm very cutting, very biting with my remarks. And, and I don't even realize how many people I've hurt with just my sarcasm and my anger. God, search me, forgive me. 
You know, maybe for you, just say, as you're saying, God, search me, just realize, man, God, I've been spending time on the internet looking at things that I should not be looking. God, I'm, on the, I'm watching things on Netflix that, that I know is not honoring to you. God, forgive me of my lust. God, I, I'm objectifying people. I'm objectifying your creation. God, for, forgive me. Search me. Maybe for you, it's God, I've got this pride that I'm so concerned with how I appear before others that, that I've totally forgotten what your word says about me. God, search me and help me to depend, to have my image based on you and not what other people say I am. You see, when we ask God to search us, it's dangerous because God will. But God's intention is never to search us, to judge us. God's intention is always to bring healing. Look at how David puts it in Psalm 139 in your notes. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Anybody had anxious thoughts this week? It says, test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out in me anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You see, we confess to God for forgiveness, but we also confess to others for healing. That, that's why growth groups are so important. Growth groups help us to build unity, to, to build healing in our daily lives. And so I want to challenge you, be a part of a growth group. Sign up for a group, find a place of community and a place to connect. So dangerous prayers, God save me, God search me. And then number three in your notes, you can write this down, God stretch me, stretch me. Now, on Tuesday night, I, I took Blake to our last Mets game of the year. Uh, Blake, he's a huge Mets fan, as, as I've shared, and, and I've tried to take him to as many Mets games as I can. He loves the Mets, and he loves everything about them. They lost like 9-1. to one. It was a bad game. It really was. But his favorite thing at City Field is the little baseball park on the outfield. There's like a little kid's wiffle ball park where Blake can like hit the ball, and then at the end, he could run around the bases and have fun with that. Uh, and his goal this entire year was, Dad, I want to hit a home run. Now, I'm going to start to say I love my kid with all my heart, but he's skinny as anything, and he is probably the clumsiest kid I have ever met. I, he might get it from me. I don't know, but he, he trips on everything, falls on like everything. So if you're like, man, as a dad, do you think he's going to get a home run? I'd say, yes, but probably in like next year, probably not this year. So I take him to the park, and we go there, and all right, Blake, it's your turn. I'm going to hit a home run. So he grabs that bat, has this determined look. I got this. You got this, Blake, filming it for mom, you know. And so he grabs the bat, and he hits the ball, and it's a little pop-up, and the wind carries it just enough that it hits over the orange line, just barely the orange line, home run. He looks, whoa, Blake, run the bases, run the, yeah. So he's running the bases, and I'm like, wow, he did it. I mean, Technically, it was a home run, but it was, like, it was like a weak, it was like a gimme home run. But what happened was when he ran around the bases, he's like, I can do this. Dad, let me do it again. So, sure, go ahead. Let's do one more game. And so he goes up. This time he chokes up. He swings with all of his might. The thing clocks the jumbotron in the little thing. We're like, what the? What? Did we give our son steroids for breakfast or something? What's going on? You know, so then one more time, Dad, let me do it again. So this time he chokes up again, and he hits the ball. And it goes out of the ballpark. And I'm like, what is going on? When, wow, how did he learn how to do this? In fact, the guy next to me goes, nice shot, kid. Yeah, that, that's my kid. That's, yeah, we taught him how to do that. Yeah, you know. And so he couldn't wait to go home. I got to tell mom, mom, I got six home runs at the Mets game today. And he was so excited. I began to think, like, well, how did this kid go from, like, 
barely knowing how to hit to hitting six home runs all in the same night. Like, how did this happen? And I think the answer is the word belief. Once he knew he can do it, there was nothing that could stop his determination. You see, I believe that there is far more in you than you could ever realize. I believe God has placed gifts, talents, abilities in your life that when realized and when unleashed, there is nothing stopping you. But you have to pray, God, just stretch me. God, stretch my faith. What can I do through you? You see, it's important for all of us to believe that God is for us. So many of us, we live our lives as if God is not for us, that God is this angry God up in the sky. He's judging everything we do. God is this distant God. God is boring. But at its core, we realize that God is for you. And until you genuinely believe that, your entire prayer life is going to be small and it's going to have timid prayers because you don't believe that God is for you. But when you genuinely believe that God is for you, it's a game changer. It'll change your entire prayer life. You're going to begin to pray bold, daring, audacious prayers that are going to change the trajectory of your entire life because who you become often is determined by how you pray. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 in your notes. It reminds us, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Some of us here, our version of faith is show up to church for an hour and go back home. Some of us here, our version of faith is just pray that one prayer for one minute. You know, I walk into a restaurant, I see it has a grade pending, so I better pray before I eat this meal. And that's our prayer life. That's our faith. God, I'm believing for miracles as I'm eating this pizza. I probably shouldn't eat anyway, right? God has created you to do far more for him than to just pray once a day, pray before a meal, show up to church one hour a week and just call it good. God has put far more in your life. It's impossible to please God without faith. So where is God stretching you in your faith? What bold area is God trying to challenge you to take that step of faith, but you're just like, not yet, and and I don't really know. You know, maybe for you, you've placed your faith in Christ, and it's been a personal decision, but you feel this nudge that, that you need to get baptized, to go public with your faith, but you're nervous. You're like, man, I don't really know how it's going to look before my friends. I'm not really sure where I stand on my faith just yet. Baptism's too big of a commitment, but God's saying, just take that step. Uh, Maybe for you, it's being a part of a growth group. You're overmaxed out with your time. You're overbooked in every area. And always the first thing you cut off your list is growth group. Not this year, but maybe next year. Make the commitment. Say, you know, I'm going to stretch my faith. I'm going to cancel something else. And I'm going to sign up for a group and see if I can find community in this group. Uh, Maybe for you, it's to take the step of leading a growth group. I mean, you're like nervous because, man, I I barely read the book on time, but now I feel like God's telling me to be a growth group leader. Oh, that's that's a big commitment, but God is going to stretch your faith by taking that step of faith. Now, maybe it's to start a ministry altogether, and you've been climbing the, the corporate ladder, you've been climbing success, but inside you're like, man, I feel like I was created for more, and you realize God is calling you to serve others, to do something meaningful for Him, and you're nervous because you don't really know the outcome. Remember, it's impossible to please God without faith. And if there's no limit to what God can do, then there's also no limit to what you can do through that bold and through that dangerous prayer. So you can ask God, God, stretch my faith. But my advice is don't be surprised when he actually does. So these prayers, right? Save me, search me, God, stretch me. Let's turn over to the back of our notes. Let's look at the fourth dangerous prayer to pray. 
and to simply send me. God, send me. You know, each week we give you guys a connection card. And on the back, we have this area where you can write down your prayer request. And we tell you each and every week, write it down. Uh, I see every prayer request. I pray for each one every single week. But if I could be honest, every prayer request falls with just about three of these different needs. About 90% of prayer requests, they talk about financial stress, uh, relational stress, or work stress. Like almost every prayer request, that's what it deals. God, I'm stressed out my finances, I'm stressed out my marriage, and I'm stressed out with my job, right? But I'll say this, 100% of all the prayer requests, they have to deal with me. God, I need this. God, help me with this. God, can you do this for me? Now, honestly, it's not wrong to write prayer requests about you. I mean, that's, that's why God has put us here in this life, right? We need God's blessing to take those steps forward in our everyday life. But what if for a moment we decided for one week to reverse the script? Uh, rather than saying, God, here's what you can do for me, what if we changed it and we said, God, what could I do for you? I tell you, that's a bold prayer. God, send me. God, God, what could I do for you? That's a dangerous prayer. You want to know why? Because God will for sure answer that question. You are his hands. You are his feet to a lost, a hurting, a dying, and a broken world. When you pray, God, send me, God absolutely will send you because we are his hands and his feet. Look at Isaiah's story in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger for this people? Who would go for us? Then Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. Underline that phrase. Here I am, send me. Now, why is it that most of us don't pray that prayer? I mean, chances are most of us, we, we probably never prayed that prayer, even this year, let alone, right? Like, God, I've never prayed. What do you need me to do for you? God, send me. And the reason why I think people don't pray this prayer is because they're afraid God's going to say, hey, I want you to pack up everything you got, go to a country you never heard of, never have communication or internet again, and go do that, right? A lot of us, we freak out. We're like, man, is God going to send me to like Africa, to a different country there, and minister and, and never have communication with my family again? You see, God could call you there. I mean, God's called people there. But more often than not, God doesn't call you there. Uh, most times, God just calls you to be a missionary where you are. And let me just say that that is just as significant and that is just as holy, to be a missionary right where you are. Because it's more likely that God is going to call you to serve those that you already know than to, and to be faithful with those, everything that he's given you. You see, a lot of times when you pray the prayer, God, send me, what God's going to do is he's going to tug at your heart and tell you that there's someone who is hurting and to just listen and be a friend, be, be God's voice for them. And maybe God might call you to just reach out and give something to someone that you know is in need. And God might ask you to do that. And maybe God might call you to buy lunch for a single mom who's got four kids and they're just struggling. And you say, well, it's just the $8 lunch. It's not really that significant, but it is. It's very significant for that person. In fact, Jesus says that if we give a cup of cold water to a young kid, that is done in my name. And see, what you realize is when you do enough little things and when you're faithful to God, one day you're going to wake up and realize, man, those little things... They were not little things at all. They were significant. They were big and they were huge because God says, if you're faithful with the little, I will bless you with more. 
And so one day as you continue to be faithful in those little things and you see God's blessing in each step of the way, you're going to say, God, no matter what, I'm here. God, send me. What do you need me to do? You know, God, he might prompt you to serve somewhere in the church. God might prompt you to serve with the two-year-olds and to serve in the nursery. He could do that. God might prompt you to lead a growth group or to be a part of a growth group. God could call you to foster and to adopt a child, and that would be significant. God could prompt you to give over and above your tithe. Look, I don't know what God would ask you to do, but I'll guarantee that if you're bold enough to pray, God, send me, God absolutely has a place of ministry for you. And the more you step out in faith, the more you grow, and the more and more that prayer becomes like Isaiah, God, here I am, God, send me. You see, one prayer prayed the right way could change the entire course of your life. And we looked at four bold, four really dangerous prayers, right? God, save me. God, search me. God, stretch me. And God, send me. Prayers that I guarantee, if you pray those prayers, not only is God going to answer them, but God is going to move in your favor and help you take those important steps of faith. But let's be honest, when we look at these prayers, man, they're big prayers, right? And so my goal for you today is not to pray all four of these prayers. My goal for you today is to look at each one of these and to say, which prayer do I need to pray this week? Maybe for you, it's God to save me. God, help me to remember at my core, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And maybe for you, it's God, search me. There are so many areas of my life that I didn't realize are not fully surrendered to you. God, search me. Let me know this week, what are those areas that I got to turn over and surrender before you? Maybe it's God, stretch me. There's something you've called me to do and I've just refused. I've frozen. I've given into fear. But God, this week, help stretch me to take that bold step of faith. Or maybe it's God, send me. Let me just be open to the needs you have around me. Help me to see how I can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Focus on one of these prayers, and my prayer is that you'll take time every day this week and pray that same exact prayer over and over and over again. Remember, one prayer prayed the right way can change the entire course of your life. Look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. It's our memory verse. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Go. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Let's take a moment and let's pray. God, we thank you for the importance of prayer. And God, right now in this time, we'll openly confess to you that we have not spent enough time in prayer. God, that our goal in life is to be more and more like your son, but God, honestly, we haven't blocked out enough time to hear from your son or to take time to become more like Jesus. And so God, we take time this week to pray these four bold prayers. God, I don't know what prayer it is for each person here, but they do. And so God, help give us the motivation to pray each one of these prayers this week, to focus on one of them, whether it's to God for you to save us, to remind us that we are sinners in the need of a Savior. God, maybe for us, it's to search us. God, help us to know what areas of our life are not surrendered to you. Help us to be bold, to willingly turn that over to you and ask for your forgiveness, God. God, for some of us, it's to stretch us. You have amazing things planned for our life, and so many times we've just lived life in the comfort zone. God, stretch us. Take us out of the comfort zone and allow us to see amazing things that you're going to do in our life. And God, send us. Help us to realize that this city has so many needs. And God, we're not called to just be out there on the stands, but God, you've called us to be right there in the field, to be your hands and feet to those in need. So God, 
We pray this week that you would send us, give us opportunities to serve the poor and needy in our city. God, we ask all these things in your son's name. And everybody said, amen.